You know, for many years, I've known an elderly woman named Helen. She is the holiest and probably the oldest person I've ever known. Well into her 90s, almost approaching 100, until recently, Helen lived in her own home, assisted by family, spending her days almost exclusively in prayer, watching EWTN, Catholic Network, and writing letters of faith and encouragement to those that she loves. Helen had a rough life. Her stepmother sent her away to boarding school when she was young to escape the trials of family life. She married, the, the only, she married only to find out that she had chosen an abusive alcoholic husband. And she took all sorts of odd jobs to make ends meet. And her whole life was indicated, was, she was poor and by worldly standards. Yet after a, a, over a century of hardship, or a little less than a century, she is incredibly faithful and positive. Friends call her from time to time to talk with her about the trials of life, and she listens intently, but then she won't let them go on for long. She's told me, she's told my mother all the time, are we going to have a little par- pity party, are we? Get on with life, she would say. Since my years in seminary, I suspect because she, doesn't, she didn't want to throw anything away in life, Helen always sent me envelopes of what I would call Catholic junk mail, mission appeals, letters from religious orders, prayer cards, like I don't get enough of those myself. And it was usually comes, it came to me marked with big red letters, postage due. He said, drive me crazy. So a few years ago, she sent me her usual stack that included an old prayer card from a friend's funeral. Supposedly, it was a friend of my grandmother's. It had been a bad day and a bad week, and yes, I was feeling sorry for myself. So I grumbled about this postage due envelope from this shut-in, blah, 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 grr, my pity party of myself. And the card had a, a picture of Mary on the front And the back had a a woman's name on it with the dates of her birth and her death. And there was also a quote from St. Teresa of Avila, one of my favorites, the great Carmelite mystic reformer and doctor of the church that Helen had circled before she sent it to me. And during that difficult time, it was a sign from God because it said, let nothing disturb you, let nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes Patience overcomes all things. He who possesses God lacks nothing. God alone is sufficient. St. Teresa's words have always moved me greatly. One of the seminarians wrote it in calligraphy and framed it for me. And still today, it helps me keep perspective, most especially because of our common faith. In other words, when we are Christians, sometimes life is hard. When we live in a world that is violent, as we know in our world today, that's moral-free, it's a free-for-all, I still have that card, and I hear Helen's voice, are we going to have a little pity party, are we? Get on with life. Peter, James, and John are having such a moment in our gospel today, it's called the transfiguration. The positioning of this story in Luke's gospel is significant, In order, first, there is St. Peter's confession of faith after Jesus asks, Who do people say that I am? You are the Christ, he says, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, Peter proclaims. And the story of the transfiguration is tucked between 
two dire predictions of Jesus' passion and death. Predictions that most likely alarmed and confused the disciples and left huge questions in their minds. Is he really who he is? Or he really who he says he is? As faithful Jews, the disciples no doubt had preconceived notions about the Messiah that didn't include suffering and death. Most had the idea that the Messiah would be a a religious as well as a political leader that would restore Israel to its rightful place. But it wasn't meant to be. God had other plans for his only son. So if you look at most Bibles in Luke chapter 10, most often you see the added title, Jesus' Ascent into Jerusalem. Another way of putting this is Jesus resolutely turns and starts walking toward his final destiny to suffer and die for our sins. And it was going to get tougher for the disciples as Jesus journeyed towards Jerusalem, a day closer to the frightening events of his passion and death on Calvary. But God shows compassion on Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle during the transfiguration. For in the transfiguration story, for an instant, they beheld Jesus' face that became dazzling white, revealing a trace of the glory that would be revealed in his resurrection at Easter. The transfiguration is the promise of the crucifixion and death would not be the end, hardly. It would be the road to his ultimate glory. It was like St. Teresa's words, let nothing disturb you, let nothing frighten you. All things are passing, God never changes. Patience overcomes all things. He who possesses God lacks nothing. God alone is sufficient. At the transfiguration, Elijah, representing the prophets, and Moses, who represents the law, appear and converse with the Lord about his Jerusalem destiny. And as the disciples awake from a divinely inspired, induced sleep, they sense the significance of this historical moment, that Jesus is the completion of the law and the prophets and the answer to all of life's most important questions. A cloud of God appears as God, so does the voice of God. This is my beloved son. Listen to him, it says in the Gospels. We know that this moment was big. St. Peter was overwhelmed. They receive a foretaste of the good news that would overwhelm the bad and the total happiness of God's kingdom. And who wants to leave a moment like that? In fact, let us set up tents and stay here was St. Peter's response to the whole thing. It must have been good, an oasis in the desert in troubling times. But as soon as it began, it was over, and the scene vanishes, and the disciples follow Jesus down the mountain, and he would lead them to Jerusalem to fulfill his destiny, and they would respond by continuing his mission after his death and resurrection. And no matter how difficult the times would get, they could remember the Lord's transfigured face and the hope that it rendered. We, too, are on a journey like Peter, James, and John. And if we are motivated by our faith, we will face troubling times. All they do is turn on the news, and we can see it over and over again. If we are faithful to Christ, we too will suffer as we fulfill our destinies. 
As Christianity becomes more integrated into one's life, we become more and more, what we say, countercultural, standing in opposition to the sinful world around us, which causes persecution and suffering. But let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes. Patience overcomes all things. And he who possesses God lacks nothing, for God alone is sufficient. This is precisely the point of our reception of Holy Communion this evening. We have the privilege of seeing ordinary bread and wine transfigured, changed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. It is our booster shot for the road. So let us be consoled on this day that the trials of life do not have the last word. Jesus does.